You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes. Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Because nope. I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. It's the Noble and Roos Show, brought to you by BallIsLife.com and Dash Radio. Welcome back to another episode of the Noble and Roos Show, presented by Ball Is Life. Uh, it's your host, Roos Williams, along with my co-host, Zach Noble. And we got a few guests in the building today. Um, from the Detroit Pistons. Zach, take it away. Yeah, really excited. I'm happy to have Rod and James Edwards here. Uh, Rod was on my other Ball is Life show, so happy to get him on this one. And first time um, getting to speak with James here. So let's start out with this, guys. Uh, James, I'll lead off with you here, but uh, let's talk about the draft. Let's let's hear what you guys take away from the draft and then um, we'll, we'll go from there. Just give me a draft grade and what your overall takes are. Yeah, I give it a, a B minus. Um, I, I love the Killian Hayes pick. I love the Sadiq Bay pick, as we talked about for a little bit. Going and getting a guy like Saban Lee to put in your program in terms of the G League and another two-way guy. I mean, I think he's an upgrade over Jordan Bone. He's three years younger, too. Kind of similar in terms of style of play. I give it a B minus because I don't love the Isaiah, Isaiah Stewart pick. Not that I don't necessarily like him like from what i've seen and heard he's a guy that i mean he i was told he had the best motor in the draft and i think when you watch him you see that and it very much fits the detroit dna but i just am curious like what his role at the nba level is going to be um and with guys like rj hampton specifically that was still there at 16 i think i would have liked that pick more but yeah i mean i can't really judge the stewart pick until i see him play but just on the surface i like them all uh, except i just kind of wonder what his role is as an nba player going forward rod how about you I'm going to say A minus because I think they addressed some needs and uh, they got a point guard, they got a wing and they got a center uh, to address all of those. And you have to take it in the context of everything else that was going on at the time. They didn't have a center on the roster at all. Um, And so they were just trying to fill the gaps and then see what happened in free agency. So with the uncertainty, I think they did a good enough job of just grabbing three good players that they liked Um, I was told that every time they made one of those picks, they got a phone call like, hey, what do you want for that? So that's a sign that they got good value at each of those spots. And just a core that you can build around with some roster certainty and some financial fiscal certainty for the next four years. I think they did a really good job with all of those. Now I'm closer to you, Rod, than James on this. Um, I personally, it was, they won the draft in my estimation. They were my favorite draft by every team here. That's why I was excited to have you guys on. Uh, Killian Hayes was my number two guy on my board. Um, I wanted him at number one for my Timberwolves, but I knew they weren't going to take him. Thought he has way more defensive upside than Anthony Edwards, and I just think he's a perfect fit. D'Angelo Russell versus, I think, um, Anthony Edwards has a little longer to go, and we don't necessarily have the development um, in our coaching staff that I believe in yet compared to, like, Dwayne Casey in Detroit. So I think uh, 
Killian as a building block, him falling to seven is arguably going to be the steal of the draft, and it's going to be competing with my number 11 guy I had on my board, Sadiq Bay. So that's why I loved you guys' draft so much. Um, I feel like you actually got a core coming together here. I, I see pieces and guys I can actually get behind and believe in. Like, I truly believe Killian, um, I believe in Jeremy Grant, and now Sadiq are three pay- pieces for a future starting lineup for a long time to come. Um, let's run it back with Rod here. What's your guys' intel from uh, the team side of things? Did you feel like this was just their best available, or did you feel like they were trying to work up um, pieces that fit together? Or what? Do, how do you think this played out from the team side of it, why they ended up with these guys? And um, what were these guys at the top of the team, the team's board? Or where do you think it was from the team perspective? Yeah, I, I think Killian Hayes was pretty high because they like his defensive intensity. And um, Troy Weaver was asked on draft night, like, why not Tyrese Halliburton, a guy that I like maybe a little bit more than, than Hayes for his versatility. And that was Weaver's answer is that he gets to the rim. He he likes contact and um, he's a little bit more aggressive on the defensive end. And I, I think those are things that you don't teach necessarily that he brings that to the table and he's going to want to do that from day one. I've got some questions maybe about how he translates from playing over in Germany um, with racial farm and, and coming over here and playing at an NBA level. But uh, as he said on draft night as well, it's been eight months. A lot of those questions about his right hand driving ability and uh, things that he couldn't do. Those are things that he targeted and that he's been working on in the shutdown time. So I'm anxious to see what that looks like. From what I heard, uh, if Patrick Williams and Killian Hayes were both there at, at seven, it would have been a discussion. Uh, but the discussion was kind of non-existent after Williams went forth. And I mean, they said after the draft that Hayes was number one on their big board. Uh, do I believe that? Probably. Do I also think they said that because they drafted Killian Hayes? Yes, probably. Um, but no, I think he was probably definitely like Rod said, top two. I think Sadiq Bay was very high. Um, on that list, I think Aaron Nesmith was a guy that they really liked too, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but he went just before them at 14 to Boston. Uh, but I think Sadiq Bay was, I mean, I think it was neck and neck there. Um, and then, yeah, I think the Isaiah Stewart pick, I, w- I would say, I think Rod would say the same was probably the most shocking just because I had him I, as I, a second rounder. I thought that was pretty crazy. Yeah. And that's why I said B minus had they done something else. I would have said, Hey, and it, again, I like what he brings in terms of, especially when you look at what Weaver's trying to bring, I just wonder if you take centers in the first round and unless they're Joel Embiid types and with some guys there, like I said before, RJ Hampton specifically, I, I just didn't love that pick, but I mean, we're going to find out about Stewart. He, br- he brings exactly what Weaver wants his players to bring. He fits the Detroit DNA. So it, it's hard to kind of slight that pick until you see it on the floor. Yeah, I, I, I wouldn't trip on that pick if it was an Congo type guy. Right. Obviously, not a Congo because he, he went much earlier, um, but a center who can bring a defensive presence and had good size and good uh, rim running ability. I think you, you'd feel a whole lot different. That that might be an A plus if they got somebody like that. But Stewart, uh, for, for most of the microphones, it was somewhere around 16, 20, somewhere around in there. And again, you went for a need. They just didn't know what they were going to do with the center position. And you want a guy that you can sort of groom into that spot because, again, these guys that they're picking up, Plumlee's on that three-year deal, but you just didn't know what the, the rest of that roster was going to look like in terms of big men. I think if you flip 16 and 19, had they taken Bay 16 and Stewart 19, I think there's probably Looks a little, a little bit different conversation. Yeah, It's wild, though, when you look back on this draft, how – 
different it's looked um, compared to years past, where in the years past, I'd say 18, 19, and I mean, even further than that, but like the most recent drafts, I feel like they were drafting to imitate um, the past champion, the, the way the league is adapting. And this draft, I mean, it took so many centers early and unconventional big man uh, really early. And whether it's even early second or guys like Isaiah Stewart trading up and getting them at 16, it just doesn't make a ton of sense to me for where the league's heading and for what type of style the league is playing right now. It's really interesting. I don't I don't know if they're going best available more than not this year because many thought it was such a crapshoot overall. Um, I think that might be part of it. But do you guys know, did Detroit try to trade up at all? Were they trying to get any even higher than seven at all? Were they close on anything throughout the draft? I was told no. Like, they didn't want to give up assets to move up just because of where they are. I um, mean, Rod alluded to it earlier. I had Specifically for Stewart, I had heard a team offered first for him. Um, they obviously like him enough not to do it. But, yeah, I don't think they tried to move up from what I heard. I don't think it makes sense given where they are in terms of like assets and trying to accumulate them and restock the cupboard. And I, and if they did have Hayes one or two, um, I don't think they were really too worried about him going anywhere in between. Cause I think once he got pet, I mean, once you got to, I mean, I think maybe it, I don't even think Atlanta would really scare him. Just the teams picking in front of him really didn't need a point guard. And nobody really, when you hear this stuff, nobody really talked about Hayes as the top of anybody else's board that was picking ahead of him. So I think once they probably got to Chicago and they picked Williams over Hayes, they probably felt good about Hayes falling to them. Yeah, I agree. I think they they maybe looked at the market and said, no, it's not worth moving up, as James said, and we're not giving up any assets to do it. Uh, But there really wasn't a destination for Hayes to go. And, and given the, the marketplace, there wasn't a place for Halliburton to go. Again, I think he was maybe, um, for some teams, just as good or better fit. Uh, and then when you saw that Williams went at four and you had Toppin still on the board, you had uh, Advia still on the board, you still had a lot of, of good guys. So the Pistons were in a spot where they could have gone in a completely different direction. But just like you saw a lot of the good teams, they stayed with their board, stayed with the guy that they wanted, uh, and if they valued Killian Hayes that high, they didn't deviate from that at all. I mean, just like Golden State, when, when you saw that Clay Thompson got hurt and they needed another wing, they didn't change their draft plan. They just stuck with what they knew and, and just did that. I think the Pistons were, were very disciplined in doing that and not saying, um, here's a shiny object over here because the Toppins, the um, Halliburton's were there for them. If they focused on Hayes, they got Hayes and they got the guy they wanted. Absolutely. So before we transition over to free agency, do you two personally wish they would have taken anybody else throughout the draft that they could have got at, say, 7, 16, and 19? Just Hampton for 16 at me, pretty much. That's I like that one. Yeah, yeah I mean, you could have looked at some different things, especially if you figured out at the end of it that um, Hampton was going to be there and available for you and you didn't have to go center. But, again, it's it's hindsight, and I, I don't like to look at in stuff in hindsight, but – at the time, on the clock, I think they made the picks that they, they wanted to and got the guys they wanted. Very good. So now something that's going to perk Roosh's ears. Um, he's a big Houston Rockets guy. Um, so he stole um, arguably maybe your franchise cornerstone that a lot of Detroit Pistons fans were thinking at the end of last year, depending on how high you were on Christian Wood. But uh, trading number 16 for him, do you guys think that was necessarily – I mean, that had to happen to get Christian Wood or didn't it? I guess let's start with Rod here. Well, I think there was, and James and I had talked about this at length last season, 
what's the number? And I asked Troy Weaver, what's the number in your head that Christian Wood is going to be worth? Is he a $12 million guy, a $15 million guy? How high do you want to go in order to make that happen? And given that it was such a short sample size of, of 20, 25 games, whatever it was toward the end of the season, do you bank on that? And are you believing that that's going to be who he is over the course of seasons with teams having game tape on him anymore? So I, I think for, for Houston, you want to get that type of guy. If you can keep everything together with popsicle sticks and, and glue that Harden and Westbrook and those guys are going to stay there, then that's going to be a good fit for Christian Wood. So you just had to do whatever, because in the West, you have to stay relevant. And that's the type of guy that they're going to And I think from Detroit perspective, one thing that maybe gets missed in all this, people look at Wood's number and think, well, Detroit should have gave him that. What I would say to that is, one, I think Christian wanted to play somewhere where he could win and maybe have a higher profile. And you add in the fact that Texas doesn't have a state tax. So that plays into the money, I would think. And also, if you're going to bring Christian Wood back to Detroit, I'm sure he wants face of the franchise money, not uh, mm-hmm. the third star on the Houston Rockets money. Um, and I, and I, I, if, if I had to guess, and I haven't talked to anybody about this in, in great detail, but if Detroit was going to bring him back, I, I think that number was higher than the 14 or 13 per year that he signed with the Rockets. It just For him to come to a rebuilding team and be the face of the franchise, maybe that entices him. Uh, but I think that that money, that that number would have to be a bit higher to do that. So I don't necessarily disagree with what you guys are saying. It makes sense. Um, I think that the Rockets, like you said, you got to stay relevant in the West and the Rockets. That was pretty much their only uh, open avenue to doing so and to upgrading to legitimately being able to sell some type of upgrade to, to James Harden and Russell Westbrook. Um, it's still unclear, like you said, based on the sample size, whether Christian Wood is actually going to be that player. To me. He is, Steven Silas is now the coach of the Rockets and he had Luca and he had KP. I'm not saying that Christian Wood is Chris Tapps Porzingis, but he's 6'10", he's long. He can take folks off the dribble. He can step back and shoot. He can catch and shoot. He can play the pick and roll. He's pretty versatile offensively. Uh, 13, 15 game sample size, whatever it was after the Drummond trade. Obviously, you don't know what to make of that. And that's a fair concern. Um, Rod, you touched on it. You said, did Detroit want to bank on you know that sample size? So two things I wanted to say. And James, you also said, is he worth it for that money? I would agree with you, but then I would get a little confused as to why they threw three, three years and 60 mil at uh, at Jeremy Grant. Cause I think Christian Wood is more talented offensively. Maybe Jeremy Grant's the fit defensively what they're looking for, but I thought 20 million was a super overpayment. Uh, But Rod, I was going to ask you. um, So you said, are they, you know, willing to, to bank on that sample size? What was it that they saw or, or what is it that you saw? that would give you reason for caution or concern that Christian Wood might not be that dude? Um, it, it might be, you wouldn't call it a tank. I, I don't think they were tanking, tanking, but they, they didn't have the talent around him. So it, what else were you going to do with that? You didn't have Luke Kennard. You didn't have Blake Griffin. Derek Rose was just kind of, let's just make sure he doesn't get hurt. This wasn't a team that was starting the season and that's going to be your focal point it's sort of hey let's see what we got let's actually give this guy a good look and see how he flourishes in that environment and so he was able to do that but again he starting a season now as um, a guy who who would have been the number one on the uh on the the scouting chart that's got to be something that you've got to look at a little bit differently and I i think wood is going to a position now in houston where he won't be the number one guy And so that pressure isn't on him. I don't think the Pistons said we don't like his talent. I think they had a particular price in mind 
for what they were going to pay for his skill set. And once it got over that kind of 12 million mark, I think that's where things got a little bit antsy and uneasy. And if you're going to pay that much money, I think you like a little bit more what Jeremy Grant gives you. And he's a little bit more proven over the course of his career in doing those things. And it's, it's just a, a, a Troy Weaver thing that that's the type of guy that he likes. If you slide him in as your small forward, he's going to be a matchup problem on the defensive end for most three. So I think that's another piece that they like with Christian Woods. You got to run him with Blake Griffin. If you're going to pay him that money, he's got to start at center. You got to run him with Blake Griffin. And that has its its own set of concerns with it too. Real, real quick, James, before you go, I wanted to follow up. Rod, you said uh, they got antsy around the 12 mil price. Um, I think uh, so. I think so. I think that's, that's about the most that you want to spend for a guy who you don't know, uh, you don't have a, a long track record. About. Yeah, it's a big mystery box for sure. To, to that extent, though, my question would be, the initial reporting was that Christian Wood agreed to a three-year, $27 million deal, so $9 million a year. Um, and then, you know, everyone started walking it back real fast saying, no, the deal's not close to done. You know, all these- because Twitter conflict- stepped up. I mean- right? well, all, all these conflicting <laughs> reports came out. So, so my question is, do you think it's because Detroit came back to the table saying, hey, we'll, we'll pay you that money, and then Houston had to outbid? Or is it because Christian Wood saw the market and what, what other guys on the market were getting, and he decided to up his price. When, well, I, when the Pistons saw $9 million, sorry to interrupt you, they, no, that, that was not the number that they were told was the yeah. price for Christian Wood. And I know, yeah, for a fact that I don't know if they went back and said, oh, that's the number. Yeah. I, 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 have, I, I have a good feeling that the number that Christian Wood told the Pistons was higher than what he signed in Houston. So, so you do think that upon that news breaking, Detroit immediately was like, yo, hold up. Let's talk to Christian Wood and see what's see what's going on, and that's why I think everything there was walked back. Some of that, if I had to guess, yeah. Okay. Yeah, I I, I get the sense that even after the Plumley stuff and and well into free agency, they were still trying to talk to Christian Wood and see if they could work something out. Because again, I, I think they they went at this like monopoly and they just bought all the properties the first couple of times around and just said, let's get every guy we can, and then we'll figure out the rest later. Because it's better to have these agreements in place than to be sitting, waiting, and playing musical chairs, and then you just don't have a chair at the end of the night. That is surely what it looked like when they started signing everybody. I was confused. <laughs> Sorry, Roosh, to add to what you were saying about Granite, his deal, I, and I understand what you're saying in terms of, I could see how somebody thinks that's an overpay or what, what have you. I think what gets missed in Detroit's approach is it's almost inconsequential right now, the number that Grant gets, because when you look at how they're going to build the team the next two years, they're not looking to spend much more money. They want to get a guy in there that, that, that if you look at the picks in the free agency, they've done it's culture stuff and they want to get guys that play hard two way, versatile, long wings grant. I mean, checks every box down the board. So you're getting a guy in there now that can help set the tone for the culture. They don't really want to be good till like 2023. <laughs> and by then Blake's off the books and it's really just Jeremy Grant or by 2022 Blake's off the books and it's just Grant and Plumley and five rookies on the deal on the, on the books. So then you're looking, it's like the only gamble they're really taking is that Grant pans out. And that's not even really a gamble because if it doesn't work out, the window that they're looking at, they can just let them go or trade them. Um, and the fact that Denver was willing to match it, I agree that $20 million to Denver is probably worth it more than $20 million to Detroit. But I just think we're with what Detroit is doing and they're slow playing the next two years. I just don't think that number's super, I don't think it, it's not like how, when they had Blake Griffin, Andre Drummond and Reggie Jackson in their hard yeah, cap. Exactly. Cause that's a team that's trying to win and they're hard capping themselves with moves that aren't helping them win. This is a team that hard capped themselves. And it's like, well, we don't plan on being good anyway. Let's get the guy that we like and, and hope it works. And when we get to that point where we do want to win, 
hopefully he lived up to his deal and we can cont- and we have that relationship where we can bring him back. To that point, I think it says a lot that Denver was willing to match that, that they believe that he's going to get even better and they, he, they think he's worth it for their culture because they're, they're as deep as they get and they're a winning team that's very close on the, on the verge of true contention. I think they're there next year if everybody becomes as good as I think they're going to become. Uh, but you could talk me into either way. I'm with everything you said, James. You can talk me into either way, Christian Wood being worth his 13-14 or choosing Jeremy Grant at his 19-20. Yes, Jeremy Grant's the for sure better player right now. He's, I mean, he's proven he can guard. I also think he can guard a lot of two through five and maybe even some ones. Uh, he's about as versatile as a defender get. I think he's got more to go. I mean, if, if you don't think he's got more to go, then I, you, I can understand he's not worth that $20 million, but him turning down that money to go win in Denver to show what he's made of in Detroit. I mean, I respect that. I mean, very few players do that. Um, if the money's the exact same, he wants to show what he's really made of, and he's not going to have a better chance than he will in Detroit here. So it's just, I mean, what, what is what is he going to be? I mean, Detroit's got nothing to lose either. That's the most amazing part. No, I, I think it's, it's more about the structure of this. And as James said, um, you've only got this three-year deal, the Plumlee three-year deal, but you get that certainty with having those rookies. And that's why I like the draft so much is that they went all in and said, we'll pay for these guys for four years on rookie deals. What we won't do is ridiculously overpay and go out and try to get some, some guy for four years and and 90 million or something like that. So the structure of this and what it sets the course for in the next three to four years is what I'm most impressed about is that there's a plan, there's a direction. And if you say that Jeremy Grant's going to be at the center of that with um, those rookies being the, the true focus of it. But Jeremy Grant is your vet that they're going to learn from. I, I dig it. I can roll with that. Yeah, no, I agree. And I like the Houston deal for Christian Wood. Like, I hope that I didn't say I didn't. I, I, if I did, I'm, I'm mistaken. I like that deal for Wood, and I think that's a good place for him. Uh, but I also don't mind the Detroit deal like for, for Grant. It just I think people got confused because Monday through Thursday, it looked like a full-scale rebuild was coming. And then Friday, it's like, oh, they added some veterans to be maybe better than they should be. And, but if you go back to what Weaver said a few weeks before, he's like, as long as he's like, I wouldn't come here if we weren't trying to compete. That doesn't mean that they're trying to win. If they're going to lose 70 games, they want to lose all 70 games by four points. So you're getting guys in there. That's, that's setting the culture. It's their tone setters. Um, And like I said, you're hoping Grant works out. So when you're ready to get into the the iteration of Pistons basketball, that's going to compete and contend at a high level. You're hoping he's part of it. Um, but you're at the point now where it's like, let's just get him in the door and let's set the foundation for when we get that next star that this culture is already in place. Right. I think that's what you're kind of gambling on too is, hey, if this thing does work out in the next two to three years, then we can really go for it because that Blake Griffin contract is off the books. And if you want to do something bigger, you can move that Jeremy Grant contract. You can move the Plumlee contract at whatever point and throw those in um, and get somebody else that you want. Maybe get two guys that you want. So it's not a – I think if you didn't make the Grant deal – that you were talking about unwatchable basketball at that point with a lot of learning on the fly. So you needed to make a respectable team. And if you're going to gamble on a guy, I can see gambling on Jeremy Grant. That makes sense to me. And had to pay somebody. Yeah. 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 Have to pay somebody. And, and I think Grant fits exactly what they want to do. Um, Yeah. I I, I didn't mind it. Should they go complete teardown? That depends on your philosophy and how you ask. Obviously they point to the lottery odds and say, well, look what happened with New Orleans. Chicago jumped 
us, New York, Cleveland, or us, New York, Cleveland, Atlanta with a better record. So they're like, if we can win some games and and not be a complete romper room to quote our, our great friend, Vincella, <laughs> then let's go for it. There is something to the idea of losing with grace for a fan base. Yeah. You know, I think that's important. Um, I think that's important. And I think that matters. Sorry. Um, and so look, if, if Detroit's trying to set the culture, right, bring some veterans in to kind of get things in line. So the young guys are groomed and then down the line, uh, you know, it kind of blossoms into the vision that they ultimately have, then, you know, I, I can respect that before, um, while I am privileged enough to have two Pistons faithful on before we move on, can I get a scouting report and what you expect out of Christian Wood with the Rockets? Because Houston has high hopes for him. I don't think he's going to be an all-star, but I think he has the talent to become like a borderline star next to James Harden and hopefully Russell Westbrook. Um, Our savior, so their guy that's going to keep my franchise intact. So I would just like to hear, hear I would like to hear from some, from some people. Burn uh, it down. Burn. Who've, who've had the opportunity to watch it. It ain't over. It ain't over, man. So what do, you, what do you guys think about his game and how he fits with Houston? I think one of the most skillful big men. I mean, again, we're going off a 15 game sample size, but. I mean, one of the most skilled big men that there is um, can put the ball on the floor, can face up, can shoot the three, can rim run, can rim, can pop, pick and pop. I, I'm very curious to see how the Houston thing works because I wouldn't be surprised if his numbers dip, obviously, because of who he plays with. But maybe his efficiency remains intact, and that ultimately is what's important. It's just I think it's going to be defensively for him. I don't know what under Silas what they're going to do. Obviously, they like, they're going to get some, some bigger guys in the front court, unlike the last regime. Um, and defensively, I think Christian Wood lacks. I think he's there's been times where he's kind of just not known where to be, and they just try to use kind of hustle and effort to make up for it, and it and it hasn't worked all the time. I just think offensively, he's a great fit alongside those two. Um, he does like to have the ball in his hand, so I, I I'm curious to see how that works. But I think he'll be fine knowing that James Harden and Russell Westbrook are the guys. Um, but yeah, man, as long as that shot goes in, I think you have one of the uh, the most skillful big men uh, south of Joel Embiid in the NBA. No, I agree. I think Ooh. he's he's, like he's very much skilled, and I think where he's going to pay dividends is uh, on the boards that they need rebounds. They need guys on the defensive end who can clean things up and not let other teams. And that was one of the, the running joke that obviously the Lakers were just going to run roughshod over him. Not saying that um, – Christian Wood is going to be the neutralizer for an Anthony Davis, but he gives you a rebounding edge that Houston just probably hasn't had um, in the past couple of years. So he brings that offensive piece to it that he's going to stretch that center out and just create even more space in the middle uh, for Harden and Westbrook to be able to run. And I'm curious to see how his rebounds do do uh, in Houston because he should get a bunch, but he, he got a lot in Detroit, but he was going up against Don Maker for him. <laughs> So who can't that was, in, that was in the way of some of those rebounds. couldn't hold on to Velcro. Yeah. I mean, we'll see, but I, I do agree that like Christian has the stuff that you want um, in the West from a front court player. I think he, he's still, I don't think, yeah, he's not an Anthony Davis neutralizer by any means, but he's about as good as you could do to upgrade that position. I mean, he's probably as good as you could do to upgrade that position, given where Houston's uh, financial situation was at the time. And let, let the record reflect that James said, uh, you want to see how his rebounds do do. <laughs> my, uh, my mind is uh fried mush. it's just oh, mush. after it's this mush. past week it's it's been a wild 2 a 2 a.m coffee shots espresso and but, i don't even drink coffee so it's like oh lord it's been it's been rough did you get one this week though one i didn't i did a lot of wow. tea. a lot of tea impressive 
I got to know, guys, how healthy is Blake Griffin? And do we have any expectations for him? Um, was there any trade market for him? Were they even trying? Uh, where are we at with Blake Griffin? Your guess is as good as mine, at least. <laughs> I would say ours. Um, they're telling us he's healthy. Uh, we were spo- He was supposed to be healthy when he returned 18 games into last year, and he wasn't. Um, yeah, I, I, they can't trade him. If they, I'll say this. I'm not going to say they can't trade him. If they trade him before he steps on the court and shows that he's healthy, I'd be absolutely stunned. I, I, it's my understanding that they know that they have to wait until Blake shows that he's, he's healthy and close to where he was two seasons ago. Um, I mean, he's had a lot of time to rest. He hasn't played since the first week of January, Rod. Second, uh, LA, something LA like trip. that. Yeah, that LA trip. He hasn't played since, since the game before they uh, played the Clippers in January. Um, it was the knee injury was uh, re-aggravated from when he carried the Pistons into the playoffs in 2019, 2018, 2019. So there's a lot of rest there. Um, I just wonder if there's been a lot of wear and tear to the point that he's at a point in his career where anytime he plays significant minutes, it's just something bad's going to happen. Yeah, I, I agree. I think it's um, you're not going to see a team that's going to trade for him. Um, before he plays 20, 30 games. I mean, maybe by the deadline, there's a team that might be interested. But again, you've got to see to what level he's playing before you figure out what they would give up to do it. And I, I heard there, there were teams that kind of poked around and asked, but it, it wasn't any um, anything definite that was going to happen. So the fans fan base was, was up in arms and wanting him to be in this Denver trade or be in a Houston trade or be in something like that. But again, those teams are are trying to compete in the West and they're not going to take a gamble on Blake Griffin, maybe having a bulky knee and um, coming back. But, but to the point um, when they debuted their new city edition jerseys, he was the model for them. He looked a little bit trimmed down and, and looked to be in good shape, but none of that matters if that knee isn't where it needs to be. Kelly Oubre modeled the sun city jerseys and then they shipped <laughs> them like an Amazon package. So. <laughs> Everyone well, that, thought that, with the role Weaver was on, everybody thought Blake was gone that day as soon as he showed up in those new jerseys. So this is Weaver's second year, right? Making picks, having a full off First. season. First year. First, First. Year. okay. Hired in Very good. So with that said, um, I want to hear each of you where you're at with this team. If you wish they would have done anything else in free agency or on the trade market, and then uh, best case scenario for the season. I think they, they, they did what they needed to do. And typically with a rebuild like this, with when Stan Van Gundy did this same type of teardown and, and rebuild with guys that he wanted, it took him two or three years to do it. I'm just impressed that Troy Weaver was able to do it in a matter of days is just to identify guys that he wanted or didn't want and to be able to get trade targets for them and to get good pieces back. One would argue that Bruce Brown was probably one of the, the, the more talented wings that they had. And defensively, he was the best that they had. And you trade him off for a, a Zanan Musa, just a guy that, that may end up just being a, a splash and, and you see if it works. And if it doesn't, eh, you don't have a big commitment to it. But he, he, he made a very bold statement and said, this is the t- type of team that I want. And Tom Gores didn't get in his way. They, they let him do what he needed to do. And if that's the guy that you brought in to run your, your front office and um, make all of your roster decisions, he's doing it. This is, he's, unencumbered, unimpeded by any of the the ownership team or any of those guys to build this the way that he wants to. I think this team is, is I think they can be in the mix, if, especially now with this year in the NBA, they're adding the nine and 10 teams in the play-ins that they could compete for that nine or 10 team. But again, given what they, the, the restrictions that they set up on this Houston draft pick, they're not trying to be in the top 16 and, and have that pick convey. They just want to, um, 
they just want to be a, a team that's right there on the edge and um, starts to get better and better and better and eventually be the, in the playoffs in maybe three years, two to three years. Yeah, I mean, I, I echo Rod's sentiments on Troy. I think he's come in, been aggressive, let people know that he's running the show. Um, has built a culture, is trying to build a culture, and, and it's and it's shown through his roster moves. I like that they're adding guys that are versatile, that are long, that can guard multiple positions. I think that was something that has been missing in Detroit for quite some time. Um, I like that direction. I like the the ability and want to go out and and put his own print on the roster and and make those moves like trading away a Bruce Brown and a Luke Kennard and not really caring about the backlash and trusting that he did his scouting and that his team and his, the people around him know what they're doing. Um, and I like that they built a team that can't come Friday. People were so worried that they might be good enough to make the playoffs, but they're not even, I, I, that's where I disagree with what I think a couple things have to go right for them to make the playoffs. Um, one, Jeremy Grant has to ex- probably exceed his 20 million per year contract. Two, Killian Hayes or Sadiq Bay jump into like John ja Morant territory of, of rookie of the year combo. And even with all that said, I don't think it happens unless Blake is 100%. And if Blake is 100%, they're trading him so fast, he won't even know what happened. So I would say that this team, I think, they're in, I think when I look at the rest of the teams in the NBA, could they be better than the Knicks and Cavs? Probably. Do I think that they're better than anybody else in the East besides those two? No, I don't think so. And that's assuming Blake is 70%. No, I'm saying playoffs in the sense that they could be that number nine or number 10 team, not that they're in the, the oh. immediate eight by no stretch. How many, how many teams in the East? 15. You just got to be better than I five think they teams. Could, yeah, I mean, there's a chance. Yeah, if I had to guess, they... Cleveland, Charlotte. Yeah, Charlotte. I think Orlando's going to go Orlando. downhill this year. Cleveland, Charlotte, yeah. Orlando. Who else? I still think Charlotte's better than Detroit. Oh, I agree. Oh, okay. Yeah. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, I mean, you can. You there will be an injury. There will be something that. And even as they were last year, what were they? Thirteenth last year, something like that. Cleveland yeah. and Atlanta. Atlanta were worse. I mean, they could ju- they could jump up easily three three places in the East. I think. If, if, again, if things go right, I think that's that's what they're looking at. They're looking somewhere at that eleven, twelve, thirteen. Uh, if things just kind of go whatever, but I think you, they will have a couple of things that do go right with, with some of this. I mean, I yeah, think I Chicago, mean, Cleveland, uh, maybe not Charlotte. You're right. I forgot about Hayward. Maybe they have enough talent to overcome that. Uh, Chicago, Cleveland, Knicks, Magic, maybe just one more, and then you're the 10. You can maybe play. Yeah, them, you know? There you go. Oh. Yeah, no, it's definitely possible. I just think for that to happen, Blake would have to play well, and he would get traded so fast, and they would just go Kill- down. Killian Hayes might be the truth. So like you no, said, I'm with could, you. I think it's possible. I do. I really hope they give my two guys, Seku and Josh Jackson, time. I still haven't given up on either of those guys. I love them. I'm curious about Seku. That's going to be interesting. Um, I mean, he's still – he's been in the league a year. He's the third youngest player on the roster still. I thought they went away from him pretty quickly last year. Yeah, he he went downhill after a nice start. But then, I mean, Troy's traded everybody else that this team drafted (laughs) before him. And Sadiq Bay kind of plays a similar position. Isaiah, I think Sekou could play four. I think that's his best position long-term. And, I mean, there's Isaiah Stewart. I think Jeremy Grant's a better three and four, obviously. So I'm curious what happens with Sekou. I hope they at least keep him around and, and find out. Uh, but I would not be surprised if at some point he uh, 
he gets the boot too. So I just want to ask one more question, guys. We appreciate your time. Uh, I want to ask you one more question before we get out of here. Um, so Derek Rose, what is his role going to be on this team? He's kind of had a, he always has like the same resurgence in different spots and it doesn't necessarily translate to winning, but it's cool. It's a cool story. Cause you know, Derek Rose isn't washed yet. So what is Derek role, uh, Derek Rose's role to this team? And then, uh, I also tack on the end of that is Dwayne Dedman going to be, is he on the roster? Has he been waived? What's going to happen? He got waived. Yeah. He was just waived. Yeah. Waived. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, for Rose, I would say, I think he's the backup, um, to Killian Hayes. I think Killian starts day one. And that's because Dwayne, I mean, he told us all last year, like with load managing Derek, it's just easier for him to do it off the bench. Um, so I don't understand. I don't, I can't see why he would change that his philosophy from that um, this year. And I also think Derek's going to get traded before the deadline. Uh, just he's an expiring contract. Um, some, What's on his deal? Just 7 million for this year. Okay. Um, and it's his last year. And I would imagine a, a title contender will, will want some, some perimeter scoring at some point before the trade deadline is up. And I, I just don't see Derek re-signing here. So I, I think he gets traded within the first two months or so. Yeah. And we're, they added Elon Wright. Yeah. Yeah. We're, we're on the same page with that. I, I think he tries to impart as much wisdom and, and know-how about the league to Killian Hayes in the time that he can. And uh, given that uh, he came here on a bargain of a deal I think the, the front office does him a solid and sends him to a, uh, a top-notch contending type team uh, so that he can have a really good shot at a ring, what may be one of his last good shots at getting a ring. Because um, he, he came in at a time when they couldn't really get solid reserve guys, and he rejuvenated that bench and made them very watchable in some stages last year. Yeah. Are any bona fide contenders interested? Do you think they will be. would be? They will, they be. will be. I think so. I feel like with so there probably there's always injuries, um, and I feel. I mean, we could go back to last year. I mean, Milwaukee was looking for perimeter creation like that. The Lakers were. Um, I just Houston feel like, should take him over Eric Gordon. <laughs> is that deal available? I mean, yeah. Let's hey, let's put up the phone and make that happen. Listen, if you want Eric Gordon, you can have Eric Gordon. Take, take Eric Gordon. He'll happily many, drop 20 a night and, you know, lose 50 on the season for you. <laughs> uh, I like Eric Gordon. but I, I, I feel like I wouldn't like Eric Gordon if I had to watch him every night. So I, I get it. Eric Gordon's a great player. He's, he's doing great things for the Rockets, but he's getting paid $18 million a year. And last season, um, he was shooting, I think, 30, I think under 32% from three on, like, eight and a half attempts a game. Yeah. You know, it's just never a good sign when somebody's averaging as many shots as they're taking per game. You know, I think yeah. he averaged like 14 a game on like 13 and a half shots. So his efficiency was way down. He's useful as a, uh, as a perimeter defender. So you can have him for that. And when, when his shot is set, it goes in, but he's getting 18 mil to do that. So, I mean, you know. <laughs> Wayne Ellington can do that. Exactly. exactly. <laughs> you know? and, and, and Eric Gordon, as of late, especially under Mike D'Antoni, specifically under Mike D'Antoni, he never met a three-point shot he didn't like. So, <laughs> you know, there's just times where, you know, he just played low IQ basketball. And it's almost like when someone's desperate to get into rhythm, they just keep putting them up. But Shoot or shoot. Shoot or shoot. That's what they do. Shoot or shoot. But uh, sometimes they, <laughs> they don't go in for the whole season. Yeah. <laughs> but, um, keep shooting. Yeah, guys, right. on, on that note, just want to say thanks for joining us. Really appreciate the time. And uh, I really hope this Detroit team turns out to how I think they will in my mind. Last year, you asked me who had the 
bleakest future, the worst future. It was Detroit in my estimation uh, by far. Now they're, I mean, they're definitely not in my bottom five. That's for sure. They might be closer to my top 20. <laughs> uh, I, I really like Killian. I like Seku. I like Josh Jackson and Sadiq. I think they actually got a foundation there. I just hope they um, are able to build something and the future looks up for you guys. But best of luck and enjoy the season. Oh, guys, appreciate having us on. Uh, yeah, I appreciate it. That was fun. Thanks, guys. Have a good okay. night. You too. Well. Amps the